At Community Financial Credit Union, home loans aren't just for fixing up the house. Access funds to pay for whatever you need, a vacation, home entertainment center, or a wedding. And yes, you can even pay for that dream home renovation. If you're looking for banking that really brings it all back home, look no further than Community Financial. Find out more at cfcu.org or stop by one of our 13 convenient locations. That's cfcu.org. Federally insured by the NCUA. Equal opportunity lender. NMLS 440274. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. Thank you for listening to us on radio, on stream, on podcast, watching us on LinkedIn Live, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Twitter's Periscope. Good to have you with us on this uh, Tuesday. Uh, a, a few just uh, personal notes before we get into what's ripped. Um, you know, I've had some people say, you know, I have a fake background. Yes. <laughs> I do. And the reason that I do is I am in my home, like many of us uh, have to work from home and and have been and continue to uh, since the pandemic started over a year ago. And so this room is actually my radio studio, my TV studio, my guest room (laughs) and stuff where I pile a bunch of stuff I don't have room for in other rooms. So, yes. uh, And and I think it's fun to use the different backgrounds, just like on TV. When you see me, a lot of people will say, oh, I like that room behind you or the living room. It's 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 it is my living room, but it's a screenshot of it. Okay, and that's the world we're living in. So just want to, you know, put that out there. Hope everybody had a wonderful Mother's Day. I got a dozen beautiful red roses sitting here. I I don't want to move my camera. It'll get all messed up. Um, My kids and my husband gave me a mini massage and then bought me a Queen's Day at one of the local spas where you get a massage, a manicure, pedicure. They took me um, out for great coffee to the ocean because I love the ocean uh, they took me out for a lovely brunch and for dinner, and in the, and they took care of the dog, which I do, even though my kids have promised they would if I got them a dog. I think all of you parents are guardians and caretakers out there feel my pain and know it well. Uh, I promise, Mom, you get me a dog, I'll do all the work. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, so I hope everyone had a wonderful Mother's Day. And, and you know, I also want to say, because um, I've been – you know, I'm someone who buried a child. I'm somebody that had miscarriages and had difficulty having a child. Adopted my son and conceived my daughter after 13. Yes, count them 13 IVF cycles. For five years, I was a human pincushion, and uh, by choice. And a lot of people out there, Mother's Day is hard. They're mothers, but their children aren't with them because they have passed on. Uh, you know, whether through a miscarriage, stillbirth, or or they've they've died. Um, and of course there are people out there who want to be moms and who are struggling. So I, I hope the day, uh, was not hard for you or those of you that have lost your moms. I still have my mom, but I lost my dad. Father's day is tough for me. So I know that's tough for you. So with that, uh, let's check what is ripped from the heavens. 
Palestinian militants launched dozens of rockets from Gaza and Israel, unleashed new airstrikes against them early today. It's an escalation triggered by soaring tensions in Jerusalem and days of clashes at an iconic mosque in the Holy City. 24 people, including nine children, were killed in Gaza overnight. I want to say a few things about this. I spent some time in Israel. One could say that I lived there or I was an extended uh, tourist uh, in 1996. And um, I think many of you know I have a Jewish parent. I'm of Jewish lineage. And um, I went there, quite frankly, trying to connect with my Jewish side, if you will, with my Judaism. Um, and, and, And I saw with my own eyes and, and I have to say, and I want to be very clear about this. I was, you know, pretty much brought up that, you know, you just pro-Israel, you know, Jews good, Arabs and Muslims bad. Seriously. And um, I found that in traveling and in meeting people uh, in this country and throughout the world, that's, that's just not true. I mean, there's good and bad in every religion, good and bad in every culture, good and bad in every nation. And Israel is no exception. When I was there, I saw with my own eyes oppression. The Palestinian people were oppressed. You know, there's a conservative talk show host here in Los Angeles. That, yeah, I don't want to name him. I never agree about anything. But on that, we did agree. On that, we did agree. There are Holocaust survivors that talk about this, building a wall around the Palestinians, like walls were built around some of their parents or their grandparents or them when they were little in the Warsaw Ghetto, as an example, in Poland. And they are oppressed. Now, listen, Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hamas is not going to revoke their charter any day soon. Hamas is not going to um, recognize the state of Israel or say that the state of Israel has the right to exist anytime soon. I'm not going to bet on any terrorist organization. But at the same time, the Israelis have prohibited travel and placed a ban on Palestinians, have reduced their water supply, their electrical supply at first did not allow them to be vaccinated against COVID. And when we see in the news that nine children died in Gaza overnight, you don't hear the outcry from the Christian community or the Jewish community, although there are many Jews that are, I don't want to say pro-Palestinian, but pro-peace. And, you know, people out there who cry about, you know, you know, unborn children or say, you know, they're so pro-life and they care about children. What about those children? What about those nine children? I shared a tweet from Peter Dow earlier today, which is we should all take a moment to look at the world through the eyes of a Palestinian child. And having been there and seen it with my own eyes, having been to the Palestinian territories. And by the way, almost 800 people were displaced just this past few months due to the constant resettlements. And what's happening now, by the way, some say may be a violation of international law. Of course, there are uh, critics on both sides of this. But right now, there have been more than 700 Palestinians hurt in clashes with Israeli security forces in Jerusalem and across the West Bank in 24 hours. And I want to say another thing. This, you know, magic negotiation under the Trump administration with the son-in-law, Jared Kushner, that took place. So many people, myself included, predicted this would be the outcome. And uh, 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 there were 500 uh, treated at hospitals. Israeli military said six Israeli civilians were hurt by rocket fire uh, this morning. Now, this round of violence, like the previous ones, was fueled by conflicting claims over Jerusalem. 
But Jerusalem is home to major holy sites of all three, the big three religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Um, and, and I've been there, uh, the Dome of the Rock, right? You know, I, I mean, you know, Jerusalem, you know, everybody wants uh, their take. You know, and I really don't think, and I'm sorry, I'm not a spokesperson, but I don't think God would have wanted the fighting you know, over this constant, over the land. And, you know, is it about Abraham? Is it about Isaac? Is it about Ishmael? I'm mean, really, if you think about it, Jews and Muslims are half brothers that have been fighting to be daddy's favorite for centuries. That's how it boils down to me. And I'm married to a Muslim. I have a Christian parent and a Jewish parent. So I have a very unique perspective that not all uh, have on that. The rival national and religious narratives of Israelis and Palestinians are rooted in the city, and it makes it the emotional core of a conflict that just doesn't end. Now, in recent weeks, tension has been soaring in Jerusalem, marked by clashes between Palestinian protesters and Israeli police in the walled old city located in East Jerusalem, which Israel captured and annexed in that war in 1967. One of the flashpoints in the old city has been the Al-Aqsa Mosque, at that compound. It is the third holiest site of Islam. It is the holiest site of Judaism. Another driver of Palestinian anger has been the threatened eviction of Palestinian families from their homes in an East Jerusalem neighborhood by Israeli settlers. I posted a video showing an exchange of a Muslim woman and her children literally having her home taken over by a Jewish Israeli settler. And you want to know something? This is so unsettling to me. And and I'll tell you why. There are a lot of people in Israel who are descendants of Holocaust survivors. Because after the Holocaust, a lot of people wanted to get the heck out of countries like Poland and Germany. And they wanted to come to countries like the United States or the UK. Some felt comfortable going back to some of these countries, but many felt they wanted to go to the homeland, the land of Abraham, a Jewish land, a Jewish state, which they had hoped and prayed for, and they did uh, receive. But when I see images of Jews just taking over Palestinians' homes, don't they know that's what the Nazis did to their relatives? They knocked on the door and said, get out. Now, certainly, Israelis and Jews are not transporting Palestinians to concentration camps, as the Nazis did. So the similarities end there. But I have to say seriously, this is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. It's what we did to the Native Americans. And it's what's being done. I mean, you know, basically, they keep changing the goalpost in Israel. That's a reality, folks. Look at the maps, right? They're like, you can live here. Oh, we need we need to build more condos. Get out. We like your house. Get out. It's wrong. Now, this week, we've seen on Monday a long day of anger, deadly violence. There are deep divisions in Jerusalem. Israel tried to celebrate its capture of the city's eastern sector and its sensitive holy sites more than half a century ago. Dozens of rockets flying into Israel continued throughout the night. By the way, Palestinians were dying over their holy holiday, Ramadan. We'll take a break. We'll be back. back. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll continue with what is ripped uh, from those headlines. 
Uh, the Food and Drug Administration authorized the emergency use of Pfizer BioNTech coronavirus vaccine for 12 to 15 year old adolescents. This was announced yesterday. I have two 13 year olds. They're both going to be getting uh, their vaccine on May 17th. Uh, the emergency authorization uh, marks a critical milestone in the push to get more Americans vaccinated and fully reopen schools for in-person learning this fall. Uh, two weeks after they get their vaccine, they're fully vaccinated, they will no longer have to wear masks at school. Pfizer has said its vaccine was 100% effective at protecting, did you hear that? 100% effective at protecting against COVID-19 in a trial of more than 2,200 children between the ages of 12 and 15. And I was reading more about those clinical trials uh, because my husband and I were doing research to determine if we were going to say yay or nay to our kids getting vaccinated. And um uh, you know, the kids got the, you know, some kids got nauseous or threw up, some got a fever, um, some their arm hurt, some got a headache, some felt fatigued, just like the adults. By the way, in medicine, 12 and over is considered adult in studies, just to let you know, biologically. Uh, and that's how come younger kids could go back to school sooner than those in junior high and, and high school. Uh, and what they're saying, well, FDA Commissioner Janet Woodcock said, quote, today's action allows for a younger population to be protected from COVID-19, bringing us closer to returning to a sense of normalcy and to ending the pandemic. Parents and guardians can rest assured that the agency undertook a rigorous and thorough review of all the available data. And something my husband and I found, he is a physician, I am not, but in our research um, was that this, um, one of the things that was happening is that some of the kids were getting that respiratory problem. We saw over 100 children, 157, I believe, in New York um, and uh, some other places in the world uh, and in this country. Um, and they found that because the vaccine is 100% effective um, against COVID-19, it also seems to block that transition to that other respiratory uh, virus and resp you know, respiratory uh, viral uh, problem that kids uh, were getting. And also because it's 100% effective at COVID, they feel it'll be stronger against some of these variants, which you heard Dr. Uh, Bob uh, uh, Bollinger say uh, from Johns Hopkins the other day on the program, um, uh, might be uh, stronger and might be more deadly. We are seeing the Brazilian and Indian strains are stronger and the Brazilian strain has just hit our shores in the state of Florida. So children are at low risk for serious illness from COVID-19, but experts say allowing the virus to circulate among unvaccinated kids could lead to new, more dangerous variants, as I just mentioned, and slow down the protection of adults. So in other words, we're vaccinating the kids to keep them safe, but also to keep us safe. So still about 1.5 million, and grandma, right? Still about 1.5 million COVID-19 cases in individuals 8, 11 to 17 years of age have been reported uh, to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention since the beginning of the pandemic. The FDA already authorized Pfizer's vaccine for people 16 and older, Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. They have trials for teens underway. Um, parents' enthusiasm for the incoming emergency use authorization has been mixed, though, even among those who themselves have been vaccinated. I know that some of my uh, son's best friend's moms who I'm friends with or friendly with uh, are saying no uh, to the vaccine. Some that I was very surprised. Um, only 52 percent of parents of children under 18 say they're likely to vaccinate their kids as soon as they're eligible. That's according to an Axios Ipsos survey from last month of April. In a separate separate survey from KFF, that's the Kaiser Foundation, 32% of parents said they'll wait to see how the vaccine works before getting their child vaccinated. 19% said they definitely wouldn't get their child vaccinated. Uh, what's next? Well, the CDC advisory committee will meet 
uh, tomorrow to review the data, make recommendations for the vaccine's use in that age group, 12 to 15 years of age. Moderna, they're expected to announce trial results for adolescents age 12 to 17 in the second half of this year, according to the report by the New York Times. Let's rip another. President Joe Biden is plunging into the next phase of his administration with the steady approval of a majority of Americans. That's according to a new poll from the Associated Press, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. And the survey shows that President Biden is buoyed in particular by the public's broad backing for his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. In the fourth month of his presidency, his overall approval rating sits at 63 percent. When it comes to the new Democratic president's handling of the pandemic, 71 percent of Americans approve. 47 Republicans, almost half of Republicans. That AP NORC poll also shows an uptick in Americans' overall optimism about the state of the country. 54% say the country's on the right track, higher than at any point in the polls conducted since 2017. 44% think the nation is not on the right track. Those positive marks have fueled the Biden White House's confidence coming out of the president's first 100 days in office, a stretch in which he secured passage of a sweeping $1.9 trillion pandemic relief package and surged COVID-19 vaccines across this nation. Now, the U.S. has suffered the most virus deaths of any nation in the world. It is now viewed enviable uh, by much of the rest of the world because we have a speedy vaccination program and a robust supply of shots. Jeff Zients, the White House COVID-19 response uh, coordinator, uh, Zients or Zients, my apologies if I'm saying it wrong, uh, we are turning a corner, he said. And the improvements have also impacted Americans' concerns about the virus. The AP NORC poll shows the public's worries about the pandemic, lowest level since February of 2020, when the virus was first reaching us here in the United States. About half of Americans say they're at least somewhat worried that they or a relative could be infected with the virus, but that's down about 7 in 10 from just a month. Uh, earlier. And um, uh, as has been the case throughout the pandemic, there is a wide partisan gap. Uh, Democrats, 69% remain at least somewhat worried about being infected uh, compared with just 33%. Uh, of uh, Republicans. Now, despite the overall positive assessments of Americans, Biden's advisors are well aware that the next phase of his presidency, well, it's going to be trickier. Vaccination rates will slow uh, and and the administration's grappling to persuade those who are reluctant to get the shots about their safety and efficacy. By the way, we are down to, I saw reports today, at approximately 11%. That's very low compared to a third or more of the population. Uh, So I think those are some good signs and good numbers. Let's rip another. Another good sign, the Biden administration will be reinstating anti-discrimination protections for the LGBTQ community and especially transgender people. Those have been narrowed under the Trump administration. And this is according Health and Human Services Secretary, my former attorney general here in the state of California, uh, Xavier Becerra. Um, Now, why does it matter? A Trump-era rule that excluded gender identity from sex discrimination protections made it easier for doctors, hospitals, and insurance companies to deny transgender people health coverage. Now, that rollback came this past summer in June, and in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was part of a broader effort by the Trump administration to narrow legal protections for the LGBTQ uh, community. The new protections will bring the agency's policies in line with the Supreme Court ruling last year. That ruling prevents employers from firing employees based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, What they're saying, quote, it simply says what everyone already should know. You should not discriminate against people. That includes 
includes those based on sexual orientation or gender identity. And when it comes to health care, we want to make sure that that's the case. There was a provision in the Affordable Care Act which said that. And so now it's clear. There's no ambiguity. You cannot discriminate against people based on sexual orientation or gender identity. So the big picture here, LGBTQ advocates viewed the confirmation of Becerra as a win for transgender rights, considering his track record in California as attorney general and what he's doing now uh, as head of HHS. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines. Our guests coming up and more. Don't go away. We'll be back in a moment. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Atiba Madyun. Atiba is the president and CEO of the Madyun Group, a government relations firm based in our nation's capital, as well as Party Politics U.S. They are a data collection firm that not only gathers data from American voters, but also engages with young people to educate them on public policy. He's the former division director of the National Black Caucus of State Legislators, as well as the author of the novel Saving Grace. That's available for purchase on Amazon in paperback and in Kindle. His website is atubamadyun.com. That's A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N.com. On Twitter, at, uh, at Atiba Madyun. A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N. Last on our show uh, in February, did a great job, so we're very excited to have him back. Uh, thank you for joining us, Atiba. Welcome and welcome back. Good to have you with us today. Thanks, Leslie. It's great to be back with you. Um, Atiba, it seems that we can have some support on both sides of the aisle, right? Um, you know, there are key issues like infrastructure, you know, where both sides agree. Uh, sometimes we can get some agreement with regard to COVID or vaccines. But um, a key issue right now, when you look at polls and a concern of voters and not just among Democrats, um, is policing. They do feel there's uh, too much violence, and the majority of Americans that have been polled show that they favor reformation of police and police departments uh, in some capacity. So there's a bipartisan group of lawmakers working on legislative efforts to overhaul policing. Uh, They appear to be nearing an agreement uh, to set federal standards for no-knock warrants, ban chokeholds, except in life-threatening situations, and place limits on equipment the Defense Department can send to state and local police departments. Um, so talk to us about this. Is this what uh, Democrats meant when they said defund the police? Is it reformation? Is it restructuring? And is it reallocation of funds in areas where police may not have expertise, uh, such as dealing with those who are mentally ill? Well, I think yeah, that was a lot you know, that, that you just mentioned, Leslie. And in terms of what Democrats, particularly progressives, have been talking about and what they look, are looking for regarding uh, police reform and defunding the police is really about how you reallocate some of these resources, how you take some of the pressures off of police officers, because apparently they can't handle the pressures that they have from a mental standpoint. Um, in terms of, I mean, if you think about all the things that police officers do in terms of policing, they pull people over for traffic stops. They're called in for uh, mental, to do what maybe a mental evaluator could do. We've seen far too many people die because of something that could have probably been handled by social services as opposed to the police. Um, 
one of the sticking points has been qualified immunity, which for me is a really sticking point because with qualified immunity, often police officers are getting away with murder, literally, and then their departments can't be sued because the, the um, officer has what they call immunity. It's almost like 007, you know, um, you have a license to kill per se. Um, because that's what we keep seeing with police departments and police officers around the country. Um, one of the things that has been offered is um, with the qualified immunity is negotiated where they can act where a victim or a victim's family can sue police departments. This is something that has been is a little bit different because technically what generally has happened when you hear about civil suits is that the victim's families are suing the city. Here's a sticking point about that. When you're suing the city, let's just say, for instance, if it was a majority black city, then the taxpayers are the ones who are the ones who are ending up footing that bill. Personally, I would like it to, to so that, um, and I don't know if this, this I think this is going to happen in this bill, but I think one of the things that we should be talking about is how can, when these things happen and there's a civil suit, can the victims sue the police departments that then have to pay money out of those police, uh, uh, what, it's not a trust, um, out of the retirement fund. Because when you start seeing those monies come directly from out of police officers' pockets, you'll start seeing a different thing in terms of behavior. Um, mm. But, you know, the, you know, in terms of you asked the question was, you know, is this what progressives or have been looking for? It's not all that they want are looking for, but it's a step in a, in a, in a, in a different direction than we've been seeing. In the right direction, right? I think um, it's the right direction. Do you think we have more bipartisan support because people actually saw what people, not just people of color, uh, but what people throughout the nation have been saying, which is there is excessive force being used, even more so and disproportionately uh, to African-American males. And uh, Tim Scott, a Republican from South Carolina, along with Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey, and Congresswoman Karen Bass, Democrat from my state here in California, um, they're leading the charge to craft this uh, bipartisan piece of legislation. And even though Tim Scott has said um, that, you know, Senator Scott has said that, you know, we don't have uh, systemic racism, he fully admitted that, you know, he, he was stopped numerous times, you yeah. know, as a black man uh, in America. So, so my question is, one, do we have some like Tim Scott and others on the right coming to the table because they saw this with their own eyes and they also saw the reaction of this, not just country, but the world, uh, you know, having seen uh, this video, which is very, very, very difficult to watch. Yeah, it's difficult to watch. But here's another video, January 6th. Yes. So, uh, you know, this insurrection happened on Capitol Hill where people were entered the Capitol with weapons where we heard about pipe bonds that were that were placed um, around my city, Washington, D.C., um, and you saw a, a totally different response in terms of the police as a re related to that mob. And, you know, here's a here's a part that, that keeps sticking in my mind. Of course, we remember the nine minutes plus of an officer's knee on his neck of uh, George Floyd. But we also saw a woman try to enter the Speaker of the House yes. chambers, and we saw her get shot because police officers were clearly threatened in that situation. We saw police officers die in the United, or, or, or who were killed in that insurrection. But we didn't see the same type of response toward those mostly white Correct. people, Americans, that we do toward black Americans and far less 
volatile situations. Oh, so, no, absolutely. There were, you know, you know, I obviously are looking at me. I'm a white chick. I was going out of my mind because there was one Capitol Police officer who was helping this woman, this white woman down the stairs. She was recording it on her selfie. And, and I tweeted, what, is he, what does he think this is, the prom? And this is his prom date? The other thing is people are walking out. The guy who had his feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk. People who put up a noose. People who took the American flag and used the pole to beat police officers were not being apprehended on site. And then when you just compare and contrast that with the photos of which you would think was war in a third world nation and how they protected uh, the Capitol when, you know, there were going to be Black Lives Matter protests. And, you know, you've got riot gear. You've got, you know, you've got people lined up ready for war. And honestly, it's made the FBI jobs, FBI's job harder. You see FBI, FBI uh, Washington office and uh, other offices, but mostly the Washington, uh, you know, D.C. office and, you know, the general uh, FBI bureau um, posting pic. Even today, we still have not been able to get this guy. Pipe bomb, you mentioned the guy that they saw with the pipe bomb. It's a guy uh, might be a woman, but have not. That person has not been. Uh, you know, arrested as of, of yet. Although for over 400 people have been arrested, there are some, so many still at large, and it would have made law enforcement, federal law enforcement's job easier had they been uh, arrested, because had they been prepared, and there are even questions I'm sure you saw today about, okay, you have all these Proud Boys and you have this going on January 6th, yet you were sent over there. Why right. were you sent over there for that disturbance, which was this big? Right. When when you have a you you have a problem or a potential problem brewing with the Proud Boys and others on January sixth. Exactly. So when we saw, so when we're talking now about police reform, you know, I think across the board, people like me, what we're saying is, if you're going to reform the police departments, let's reform them in a way that it works for everyone. You know, I remember, and I, I often when I'm talking about this particular issue, remember when police officers were in my school as a child in Washington, D.C., and we called them officer-friendly. These were the police officers that were getting to know the children as we were growing older. So when we saw the police officer in the community, we, there was a relationship. Now what we feel in the African-American community is that there's not an officer-friendly, there's an officer-enemy. There's an officer who automatically is looking at me as being the enemy, and then I'm looking at him, and if I try to speak, he's not speaking back. If he's behind me and I'm driving my car, I'm watching to see if he's running my tag. It's, there's all these different parts of this. So not all of this is going to be addressed in policy, but in terms of whether or not it goes into training, whether it goes in terms of um, uh, penalties and punishments that come along with this, um, this is what I'm looking for to see what's going to be in this police reform bill to change awesome. that, to change that, the way that police is, is happening. Do you think they'll pass the 60 vote threshold? We have 30 seconds. So quick. Yes or no. No. Oh, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You and you, you and I are bonding on the pessimism side here. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> we're going to take a break and we'll be back with our guest and with you right after this. Don't go away. More to talk about. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. 
And we're back. Hey there. Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Our guest is Atiba Madyun. Atiba is president and CEO of the Madyun Group, a government relations firm based in D.C. He's also party, also as well as party politics, U.S. They're a data collection firm that not only gathers data from American voters, but also engages with young people to educate them on public policy. Follow him on Twitter at Atiba Madyun, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N, and the website Atiba Madyun, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N dot com. Uh, glad to have him back. Thank you for holding Atiba uh, and welcome back. Um, let, 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 let's talk about uh, some of the areas that, uh, I mean, you said this is a start. What are the priorities with this legislation and what are some things that the legislation being proposed doesn't address? I'm laughing because the priority is to stop killing black people. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 it's just that simple. It's that simple. Stop killing us. Um, you know, you think about Breonna Taylor. She was sitting in her home. You know, the no-knock warrant that's in this bill is very important. I mean, we can't um, sit in our homes anymore and, and feel safe without a police officer coming in. Um, I can't remember. We have a constitutional this. amendment, right? We have the right uh, to be protected from illegal search and seizure. I mean, I remember there's a young man. I don't remember his name. So please forgive me um, on that in Texas, who was sitting in his own home when a police officer entered his home, thinking that it was um, his her home and, and shot and killed him because she right. thought she was in her house because she was drunk. Right. Um, you know, what do we want? We want it. We want to be treated like human beings. You know, you, I often hear the term um, over the 20 plus years I've been working on public policy that Legis you can't legislate behavior. So we can change the laws. We can create more um, penalties, per se, to govern how police officers are, um, or police departments are run. But the, the culture also has to be changed. And the, the culture within this country is one that's really um, began um, oh, Bonhomme um, uh, John. Um, thanks, Mark. Um, it was, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought because <laughs> I do I it all the time. Picturing him sitting in his home eating, eating ice cream uh, and being killed in, in his home. But just you know, when, when I think about police officers today, I cannot help but think back to slavery. I can't help but think back to my great great grandparents and what they struggled to do in order to acquire land, and that there were these slave patrols. And these slave patrols are what told people you can't move around as a slave without your slave papers. Today, it's, it's you know, let me see your ID. Are you um, going to, uh, what is the term that they use in terms of comply? No matter what we do, we still ended up getting killed. So is policy going to change that? You know, we hope so. That's the hope. Um, but you've got to figure out, I think, how we change the culture and how there's going to be more discipline that's coming from the top down and how other officers are going to police themselves. But, you know, and, and it's not just police. We're talking about this legislation, but there is systemic racism. There is white privilege. I say that again as a, as a white woman. Um, how do we address systemic racism, not just within the police department, but within our nation, especially among some individuals that, that don't believe that? That that is an issue, including Senator Scott. Yeah, one Senator Scott's in denial. I mean, you know, when he made the statement the other day, and I know there are a lot of other people who will di who will disagree. America is a racist country. 
it's it's built on racism. Capitalism is built on slavery. So you can't ignore that. It's like alcoholism. You cannot address a problem if you don't first accept the fact that you have one. And so we do have a problem. When we talk about systemic racism, it's not just within the police departments. It's in the hospitals. I mean, there was a woman who went to a hospital who was a doctor during this pandemic who knew the symptoms of what she had in terms of her, with COVID. She went to the hospital. She tried to talk to the doctors. They sent her home and she died. That's systemic racism. You know, people talk about, oh, well, black people are lazy. Well, you keep trying to fight your way through something economically. And every time you get somewhere, the door is closed to you. You go to try and get a mortgage. You try and go get a job. And those things continue to get be closed to you. Eventually, you're going to look at the system and recognize that not only is it bent the opposite way of you, but it's not bent towards you being able to move about freely. So the systemic racism we hear about, I think we've got to do, um, I don't want to say a better job in, talk, in terms of talking about it. We've got to do a better job in terms of how we're listening to one another because the country now is divided. It's not divided because all of a sudden overnight we just decided to be divided. It's divided because this has been going on for a long time and we've been pitted against one another for a long time. Yeah, I would agree. Hundreds of years, right? You know, and some of the old sentiments uh, that broke our country apart, you know, in the Civil War in North and South. Absolutely. Going back to the leg legislation and going back um, uh, and going back to qualified immunity. Um, Senator Scott proposed shifting the responsibility to police departments as opposed to individual officers. Democrats with this legislation said both the officers and departments should be held accountable. I would imagine you agree with the latter. Am I, am I, am I correct? I and if do. you could just touch upon that. I, I think that I think you've got to hold both accountable. And I think you have to hold the officers who are present when these things happen accountable, too, because that's how you change the culture. If you just say, okay, well, the police department is accountable, it still absolves the police officer of any wrongdoing. So you've got it. There's got to be more um, onus or responsibility that's put on the officers, as well as those officers who keep turning their backs and allowing these things to continue to happen. Also, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I'm wondering if this feeds into your pessimism. I know it does mine. It passed the House with zero Republican support last month. Um, and uh, in that bill, it calls for uh, language to be changed so police officers can be charged for reckless conduct as opposed to the current willful misconduct. And that change would lower the standard for prosecuting uh, police officers. That, Senator Scott says, uh, is an issue that's a red line for him. At least he's coming to the table and trying to work on this with Democrats, not so much uh, for uh, the rest of his party. Does that lead into your decision uh, to say it won't reach the 60 vote threshold. What gears my decision is that we're seeing a Republican Party that continues to project things back as if it's not racist. So we've seen voter suppression laws that are going on around the country. We see an insecure white American male base that is for, that is pushing this this thing. And so, do I think that they're going to let go of the idea that the police, who they feel protect them? And their so-called way of life is going to then all of a sudden turn around and give 10 votes to the Democrats? No, I don't. You touched upon this, and, and I, I, I believe this, that there is a fear among whites, especially white men, that they will no longer be in the majority, whether it's 2050 or 2054, depending. We had uh, every, every 
uh, group of people in this country had a reduction in uh, birth rates this past year uh, due to COVID. We'll see if we'll make up for that when we start uh, getting vaccinated more and visiting and hugging and hugging leads to more than hugging. Um, you know, but do you, do you, do you, do you think that plays into it? The, you know, the, the white man fear of not being in the majority and, and fearful that, you know, a person of color will be, because certainly if you just look at birth rates, Hispanics are winning that race right now. Take away people, take away white male construct in terms of money. Then you have, you lose power, you lose money, you lose power, you lose your women. Um, so there's a whole lot of things that are like at bay here that that these men are are fearful of. But it's 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 a lot deeper than that. The issues are in their tissues. Uh, you go back to slavery and you look at the the power structure that white men had, and then you look at how things continue to have been within a construct to continue to maintain some level of superiority. This whole idea of white superiority is based on idea, in my belief of their knowing of um, idea of inferiority, having studied us for so long, that put us on a level playing field, we have a different story. So in order to feel superior, you have to keep pulling people down. And that's what we keep seeing, or pushing people down. We, that's what we keep seeing um, within this. And that's what we keep seeing within this legislation, that, that there's a desire to make sure that to keep people down in order to keep them elevated without having to work hard the way that they tell everyone else that they have to. You know, um, we only have a couple, you know, a couple less than a couple minutes left. So I, I want to talk about this wave of GIP anti-protest bills that will uh, criminalize, um, you know, protesters uh, in Florida. We have seen that uh, anti-riot bills, right? Florida last month with Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who loves Donald Trump and wants to run for president, obviously. Um, you know, and it's not just um, uh, we, we have like a minute, so I'm going to shut yeah. up. Can you can you speak to this? And, and maybe if you have I'm time to touch on the voting elections have consequences. So what we have to do is we keep seeing these things that happen. We see the Republicans are in a power position within these states. We have to go out and vote in numbers that are too large for them to manipulate. They're all everything that they're trying to do. We can win. We saw what happened in 2018. We saw what happened in 2020. We got to keep our eyes on prize and, and do the same things in New Jersey and Virginia this year. And then we've got to gear up and like whatever laws and whatever that they're putting in place, be ready to like circumvent them and win again in 2022 and get them out of office. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we need people to bring their own water and food because Republicans don't want you to have that. Well, it's them 151 feet away from the from the polling place and not within the 150 feet that they change. It's we can we can go around it. We've or done 150 it. feet and a sixteenth of an inch just to be go. a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> Atiba, always good to have you with us. Uh, Atiba Madhun, uh, we was on our show before we had him back, and we will have him back again. Go to his website, atibamadyun.com, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N.com. Uh, on Twitter, you follow him there, at A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N, same spelling. And check out his book, Saving Grace, available for purchase on Amazon in paperback and on Kindle. Thank you, Atiba. And Marky Markimaldi, our wonderful executive producer, we wouldn't have this show, me, anything without you. Have a great day. And we'll be back with you soon here on The Only True Democracy in Time. Spring has sprung. With sunny days and good times waiting to be had, you'll need a great night's sleep to keep you going. And a Purple mattress will give you that extra bounce in your step. Purple is comfort reinvented. The secret is the grid. It allows air to flow through and eliminates pressure so you sleep cool and comfortable all night long. 
Keep your good days going with great sleep, powered by Purple. Get a free set of sheets and a free pillow with the purchase of select mattresses. Go to purple.com slash sleep well. That's purple.com slash sleep well. Terms apply. Can I help you, ma'am? Well, it's actually my lawn that needs help. No problem. Try this grass seed. Okay, sounds good. And some fertilizer. Um... And of course, a soil enhancer. Try these to start. To start? Lawn care doesn't have to be complicated. With everything you need for a lush, healthy lawn all in one bag, Pennington Lawn Booster gives you quicker, thicker, greener grass guaranteed. 